bunny bunny. It's like a dream come true. It's like living a dream. Hi, honey. Well, I mean, it's not funny. But I mean, it, it, it does beg the question, what has gone wrong with young Hollywood? Honest to God, what is the problem? Welcome to Season 5 of Lay Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst decade, the early 2000s. A time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. As always, I'm your host, Dara Lane, and this is the final installment of our ongoing series about Playboy and the Girls Next Door. In our previous penultimate episode, Holly, Bridget, and Kendra fell down the entirely new rabbit hole of fame that would change their lives overnight. Kind of. On the one hand, for the first time in their years at the mansion, they weren't just Hugh Hefner's anonymous fembots. They were seen by the public as real people with names and everything. They had even differentiated themselves enough that they were able to do appearances on other shows by themselves instead of as a threesome. Like in 2007, when Bridget competed on The Search for the Next Elvira. Hi, I'm Bridget Marquardt, and I'm ready to be the next Elvira. Now, are you going to do like a little <laughs> monologue or anything for us? Okay. Um, all right. Hello, darling. Yes, sirree. It's little old me, the gal with the curves that'll rattle your nerves. See, she already has it down. <laughs> good. Woo! The only big problem with you, Bridget, the only gigantic problem, the blonde hair. The blonde hair. You got to do something about it. Let those black roots grow. All right. <laughs> what black roots? I don't know oh, what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Oops. What? Or that same year when Kendra competed on Celebrity Rap Superstar, where she lost it all to Kevin Federline's ex and actress, Shar Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to me now, give it to me now, give it to me now. Give it. I wanna lick, little lick you from your head to your toes, and I wanna move from the bed down to down to, to the floor, and I wanna, ah, ah, you make it so good, I don't wanna leave, but I gotta, no, 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 what, what the fantasy? I wanna get you back. The Girls Next Door and their subsequent fame afforded them access to new experiences and opportunities, like in season three, when Hef finally allowed Holly to work as a photo editor at Playboy. After years of begging him to work at the magazine, he finally relented because the show desperately needed a new storyline for Holly. Though many viewers thought that this job was fake for the cameras, it began as an internship and evolved into a real full-time job that she loved and gave her a newfound sense of purpose and self-esteem. And yet, despite all the positive change, they still weren't allowed full control of their own lives and decisions. One particularly egregious example of this was just before season five began filming when the E! Network suddenly became worried that Holly, Bridget, and Kendra weren't under a real contract with them. They had only signed a simple release form and there was nothing stopping them from quitting the show at any moment. When they were presented with the contracts by Hef, they were told they had to sign them that day or else E! wouldn't move forward with filming. There is... And no way a television network would ever do this. 
When they got the contracts, Kendra was in the Dominican Republic for a scheduled appearance. You're telling me that if the hotel fax machine was down on that day, Kendra would have to run around looking for a Kinko's or else E's very lucrative television show would be canceled within 24 hours? Darling, my skin might be supple, but I was not born yesterday. This little charade stunk like asper cream, which is to say it had Hef's little fingerprints all over it. Bridget and Holly were rightfully hesitant to sign the contracts under these circumstances. Bridget wanted her own lawyers to go over the terms, and Holly was reluctant because she felt she was essentially signing a contract to remain Hef's girlfriend. Hef tried to reassure Holly that it was safe to sign by telling her that Bridget had already done so. What he didn't mention was how he actually got her to do it. Here's how Bridget describes this incident in the recent A&E docuseries, Secrets of Playboy. I was in the shower and all of a sudden Hef is standing there and he opens up the shower door and he's like, why aren't you signing this contract? I need you to sign this contract. I signed the contract, crying and soaking wet. Against her better judgment, Holly went ahead and signed it, and Holly says in her memoir that she has doubts that Kendra was actually the one to sign her own contract herself. Either way, season five began filming as planned. Kendra wasn't particularly engaged in filming that final season, partly because she got a manager, an option that Hef didn't make available to Bridget or Holly, so she was busy hosting parties at nightclubs and doing other appearances for a big payday. Her main distraction, though, was meeting her future ex-husband, Hank Basket, a football player for the Philadelphia Eagles. After meeting at a golf tournament in March of 2008, Kendra arranged for Hank to meet her in Mexico and then Las Vegas, where she was doing some club appearances. Despite the distance from Hef, she still had to sneak around on these trips because Hef would always send her with a bodyguard. In Kendra's memoir, Sliding Into Home, she asserts that the quote-unquote bodyguard was just there to spy on her, as he was but a slip of a man. And in general, I feel like it's more likely that people would need a bodyguard to protect themselves from Kendra than vice versa. According to Kendra, she wasn't the only one sneaking around with a boyfriend behind Hef's back. Though Holly has always denied it, Kendra says in her memoir that Holly started dating dipshit Vegas magician Chris Angel while she was still living at the mansion. Who is Chris Angel? Besides a dipshit Vegas magician? I hate to even get into him because he's a whole other episode. Not just him as a singular person, but an episode on his very specific species that was very omnipresent in the early 2000s. Men with bad taste in gothy and alternative fashion, decidedly uncool, and treat women like garbage. For example, pickup artists, Vegas magicians, and certain musicians, ones you could probably find at Warp Tour. Basically, Chris and his ilk were merely a collection of X and Y chromosomes that came together to create a cis male abomination. An experiment by God that went so awry that without leather-studded cuffs on their wrists and a fedora on their head, their hands would fall off and their brains would tumble out of their skulls. And Holly, bless her, met Chris and was like, mmm, yum yum yum, mommy want that. 
In Holly's book, she says that she met Chris briefly, and soon after, he invited her and Bridget to be on an episode of his show Mind Freak. Though Chris expressed his interest in Holly, she says that they never acted on anything until her relationship with Hef was over. Whether that's true or not, it's undeniable that Holly was infatuated with Chris months before she ever left the mansion. It's also undeniable that Holly has absolutely tragic taste in men and is a major dork about anyone she has a crush on. In the first three episodes of season five, Holly is wearing a Chris Angel Mind Freak branded sweatshirt. And in the episode where the gang goes to New Orleans, Holly actually dresses up as Chris Angel, like full on Halloween costume dress up. You know, I'm a Holly apologist. I'm a card carrying Hollygist, but Lord, does she test me. By September 2008, multiple news outlets had begun to suspect that all three girls now had boys. Hank and Kendra, Holly and Chris, and as it was reported in a Page Six article, Bridget and Nick Carpenter. Bridget met Nick that year at the mansion when she produced The Telling, a horror anthology film that he co-directed and Bridget and Holly acted in. Kendra was asked to act in it as well, but you can imagine that wasn't exactly her thing. We are the sorority other sororities aspire to be like. We are the type of girls that every girl wants to be. I suppose you're probably wondering what your last test is. We want the three of you to tell a scary story. A very scary story. Compared to Hank and Chris, Nick has always kept a low profile, so there's much less information about him floating around. But some fun facts include... One, his grandfather was old Hollywood legend Hal Roach, who among other things produced the Laurel and Hardy films. Two, Nick's father, Scott Carpenter, was part of the Mercury Seven, a group from NASA including John Glenn and five others who were the first ever American astronauts. And most exciting, three, from 2006 to 2008, Nick dated Marissa Tomei. This is not a sloppy second situation for Bridget. No, no. This is a coup. This is a feather in Bridget's cap. A feather that she no doubt hot glued to the brim, bedazzled, and wore to the Kentucky Derby. Hugh Hefner aside, I think we can all agree that Bridget has the best taste in men. As season five continued to film, it became clear that things were ch ch, -ch changing Kendra was already in talks over having her own spin-off show about being a wild single gal about town. But her relationship with Hank was already serious, so it changed to more of a Nick and Jessica type narrative. Though Bridget quietly divorced her longtime secret husband in 2008, she and her boyfriend Nick never officially announced their relationship until 2009. However, she would be leaving the mansion regardless because she was set to host a show for the Travel Channel called Bridget's Sexiest Beaches. It was looking like Holly would finally be the only lady of the manor, the last one standing, both in life and in season six of the show. 
Half of the producers had decided that the girls next door would continue on without Bridget and Kendra and instead focus on Hef and Holly living in monogamous bliss. Throughout the series of the show, it was constantly reiterated that all Holly wanted was the house and her man to herself, and finally it was there for the taking. But now she wasn't sure if that was really the future she wanted for herself after all. Holly didn't have an emotionally intimate or fun-loving relationship with Hef. Her support system and buddy was Bridget, and though she didn't always get along with Kendra, her antics served as a distraction. Now Holly had to imagine what life would look like, just the two of them, with no buffer in between. In episodes 5 and 6 of the 5th season, Holly and the photo editing team tour the country in search of the 55th anniversary playmate. It was some time during the filming of these episodes when Holly finally made up her mind that it was time to go. In 2008, my last year there, the other girls were leaving. It looked like it was just going to be me. I finally thought I had got what I wanted out of this situation and was finally like this committed relationship. But during that time period, he started getting even meaner. One day I had all these messages from Holly that her and Hef had an altercation downstairs during dinner and she got up to walk away and he said, quit being such a bitch, <laughs> but not bitch, <laughs> the C word, which I hate that word, so I don't even wanna say it. it sounds so ugly. And um, that's it, she was done. At that point, there were no women to pit me against. There was none of that left. And that's when I had the realization. And I was like, whoa, he's been the problem the whole time. I had been locked into the mentality at the mansion and had felt like there's no other future for me outside. But I finally saw him for who he was and I had to go. I just felt it so strongly that I had to leave. After Holly told Hef she'd be moving out, she stuck around for a few more weeks while she filmed the rest of the season of the show. During this time, Hef oscillated between being doting and being mean to Holly, punishing her when she seemed a little too happy to be leaving, and then being sweet in an effort to get her to reconsider. One day, he even left out his will and testament on her side of the bed while she was packing up her stuff. He never left out such important documents, and it was obvious that he wanted her to see that he'd be leaving her $3 million if she chose to stay until his death. But Holly had already made up her mind, so she packed up her little corner of the closet and spent the last of her time at the mansion alone in bedroom five, the same room she first moved into seven years before. When the producers found out that Holly was leaving the mansion, they prayed that she was bluffing and would change her mind before filming for season six began. Because of that, in the final season five episode where Kendra and Bridget move out, we never see Holly pack up her things or even discuss leaving. Overall, the send-off for Holly, Bridget, and Kendra felt incomplete. Suddenly, Bridget is on her way out to go film a TV show that literally has never been mentioned before. Then, after a few innocuous scenes with Holly, we don't see her again until the very end as she pretends to go on a trip to Vegas for a Playboy photo shoot. She bounds down the grand staircase in a Chris Angel sweatshirt and a clearly empty suitcase slapping each step behind her. Hef meets her at the bottom 
and with a tight-lipped peck, she bids Puffin adieu, quickly slipping out the door. Hey, Puffin. Oh, you're on your way to Vegas. Yeah, I'm doing Jessica's shoot. Oh. Mwah. We spend the vast majority of this 45-minute episode with Kendra, and it becomes apparent that this is actually a backdoor pilot for her self-titled spin-off show, which was also being produced by Kevin Burns. This is not an episode of The Girls Next Door, and certainly doesn't handle the goodbye with the reverence the audience deserved. Just as Holly, Bridget, and Kendra were underestimated by Hef and the producers, they also underestimated their female audience. It's as if they thought we were all so empty and lacking discernment that after spending five years with these women, we'd have little attachment to them and would just be happy to see Hef with the next crop of girls. We did get one scene between Holly, Bridget, and Kendra that felt authentic and came the closest to honoring the time we spent with them. And now everybody's like, wait, splintering. I'm getting sad right now. <laughs> Don't cry because you know who's gonna cry next. I know, it's gonna be like a domino effect. <laughs> I really do like, out of all the stuff like we've ever been through, like, you know, like I really do love you guys. I Me really too. do. <laughs> <laughs> the domino effect started. <laughs> oh, I really do love you guys. I'll always be here for you guys. I love you too. Like, you guys are like my sister. Like, my sister's the only person who ever knew what it was like to grow up with me, and you guys are the only ones who will ever know, you know, what it was like to be here. And I think, Holly, I thank you for, like, accepting me the way you did <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> of course. I can't believe this is actually happy because I thought it never would. That's <laughs> crazy. We've done this together, you know? Without one of us, this wouldn't have happened. Right. We picked each other up when we were down, you know? We all worked together so hard. And we've been through a lot together. And I feel like we have a special bond. Holly, Bridget, and Kendra started out at the mansion as three Alices falling down the rabbit hole, and despite all odds, they landed on their feet. Now it was time to leave this warped wonderland and find their way in the real world. With the original three moving on, Hef and the producers would now have to make good on their promise and threat that Holly, Bridget, and Kendra were indeed replaceable. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm Carissa. I'm Crystal. I'm Hef. <laughs> what does it mean for these girls to be your girlfriends? Well, they arrived at a very appropriate time for me. I, you know, I was going, uh, uh, you know, I'd been with, uh, with Holly and Bridget and uh, Kendra for uh, several years. And that relationship or those relationships were coming to an end. So one would, might have expected a, you know, a <laughs> A lonely period or a period with a lot of uh, whoever happened to be here uh, but instead of that you know it, it moved very quickly and very smoothly into uh, a, a wonderful relationship mm -hmm. we caught you on the rebound yes <laughs> yes yes Lucky for that. Uh, and my, my, my response and reaction always to you know to uh, a lost love is is uh, you know to get back in the game. But what I didn't expect was, I did not expect 
you know, something so very dear so very quickly. I mean, this fucking guy. Twins Carissa and Christina Shannon first entered the Playboy world when they were invited to the Mansion Bunny House as they competed against other models to become the 55th anniversary Playmates. I'm Carissa. And I'm Christina. We're 18 from Clearwater, Florida. Have you guys been to California before? No. It's a lot it's different. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to do a lot of fun it's things. It's a lot more crowded. Though. And when we got off the plane, it was crowded. Man. The streets, everything. Right. It was good that um, we get to meet some of the other girls because yeah. now we know who else is going to be competing with us and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think more of the other girls are more intimidated because there's two of us. And only one of them. Of them so. <laughs> Producers would round out the new cast with 22-year-old Crystal Harris, who met Hef for the first time at the Mansion Halloween party in 2008. After a month, she moved in, becoming Hef's number one girlfriend. And right as one era ended, a new cycle of dysfunction began for the three replacement blondes. It's easy to draw the parallels between Crystal and the Shannon twins' circumstances with those of Holly, Bridget, and Kendra when they first moved to the mansion. In the A&E special series, The Secrets of Playboy, Carissa and Christina talk about their situation when they first agreed to make the permanent move into the mansion. They had been raised in poverty by their grandmother after their mother and father had abandoned them as babies. They dropped out of school at 15 to help make money for their grandmother, so college was obviously not an option for them. At 18, when they were asked to be Hef's girlfriends, this was the biggest and most lucrative opportunity they could ever imagine for themselves. Similarly, Crystal Harris was brought into the fold during what was objectively a very vulnerable time in her life. How did I end up here? I was kind of maybe a little bit broken moving here from San Diego, where I grew up. I lost all my grandparents, my father, and then I lost my high school sweetheart to the war in Iraq. When I came to the Halloween party at the Playboy Mansion, I had no idea really what to expect. I met Hef, and Hef was, you know, the nicest guy. It was just kind of a place to just relax and be taken care of and not have to worry for a while. So I just felt safe here. They were young women from little means and traumatic backgrounds, desperate to make something of themselves. Moving in seemed like a worthy opportunity live for free at the mansion, and inherit a starring role on a popular TV show. But once you've made the deal with the devil, you quickly find out what he demands in return. In the A&E interview, the twins talk about how Hef became even more controlling after they moved into the mansion, and never let them go anywhere without security. In the Season 5, Episode 1 DVD commentary, Bridget talks a bit about this. After she returned home from shooting Bridget's Sexiest Beaches, she lived at the mansion for another month or so while she got her affairs in order before moving out for good. At this point, the Shannon twins were already living there. Do you guys think about how strict it used to be for us and how, like, oh, nine yeah. o'clock curfew? Could we, uh, like, today, like, what the fuck? A nine o'clock fucking curfew? Uh -uh. I, I still have a nine o'clock curfew. He'll Are you serious, at... Bridget? You have a curfew 
still? Yes, because I don't even think of you guys as living there anymore. He's like, I dumped you last night. I came in and it was ten. He's called me on my cell phone and said, "It's ten o'clock, darling, and you're not here." And I didn't know you weren't gonna be home. Where are you? How did you Shut get stuck with the leftover up. curfew? I, got, I get stuck with all Do the, the rules. Are the twins held to that strict standard? I get, I get. They, stuck they're with, not allowed they're, to leave. They, they do stuff. They, I can't. The say only time it. they go off the property is with security because they don't drive. Oh, so security weird. takes them everywhere. The A&E series is definitely worth watching, and this episode especially goes into heartbreaking detail of what the twins went through. Though the Shannon twins moved into the mansion thinking they'd found their big break, it turned out that after all they went through, they'd leave 18 months later with nothing to show for it. First got to the Playboy Mansion, we were really um, big personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like there's always this bright light inside of us. Like Hef would say, we used to bounce in and out of a room. Very entertaining to all of his friends and guests. And people used to say, gosh, well, when you guys got here, it was a fresh breath of air. So from the time that you experienced that first night in his bedroom at 19 Mm -hmm. until the light went out was less than a year. Less than a year. And you had completely changed personality. Yeah. I'm trying not to get emotional thinking about it. You lose yourself being there all that innocence about us and all that, just being losing that and becoming a shell of a person, it it's hard. It's like being in prison and like someone breaking you in solitary confinement, like you're just broken. When season six of The Girls Next Door first aired in August, it had the highest ratings for any previous premiere in the series. For a second, it looked like they really could just plug in three new blonde prongs and they'd produce the same sparks they had all these years before. But after the first episode, viewership cut in half. And by the third episode, they went from 2.5 million viewers to just under a million. The series unceremoniously ended after 10 episodes. The Holy Trinity could not be replaced. The reboot of the show might have been a failure, but that wasn't going to stop Hef from trying to stay on TV. So, just like he had tried to reinvent himself a few decades earlier, Hef pulled an old trick out of his captain's hat by trotting out the tired ploy of getting married again. It was going to be shocking, simply shocking, that again the eternal playboy would finally hang up his dick and commit to a woman. On Christmas Eve 2010, Hef proposed to the love of his last 12-ish months, Crystal Harris. They promptly began filming a special for the Lifetime Network about the planning of their wedding. But alas, producers had to pivot when Crystal escaped the mansion five days before the wedding in a way that can only be described as bad daddy chic. During movie night, she told Hef she had to step out to CVS for their proverbial pack of cigarettes and then didn't come back for a full year. The new version of the special was re-edited and titled Hef's Runaway Bride, where everyone involved racks their brains trying to figure out what could have possibly gone wrong with this match made in radioactive sewage. Watching this special is bleak. The entire time Crystal is walking around looking like her lids are being pulled back clockwork orange style. Like she seems to be begging for someone to meet her eyes and ask if something's wrong. 
but instead her mother and stepfather are having the time of their goddamn life giggling over the mansion buffet and getting their measurements taken for their wedding outfits. I'd say money and fame changes people, but if you're this tickled to watch the lifeless husk of your 22-year-old daughter get married to a deranged California raisin, then I think maybe you always had some problems. Yet, somehow, someway, probably to do with some money, Crystal returned to the mansion a year later, and she married Hef in 2012, and they stayed together until his death in 2017. She inherited a piece of property that she sold for $5 million, and some reports say she was given an additional $5 million on top of that. But despite the money, Crystal has said recently that she's torn when talking about Hef because he was good to her in many ways and in others he wasn't, and she's still healing from these experiences, which you'll hear all about in her recently announced memoir. Though the early 2000s had barely ended, so much had changed for Holly, Bridget, and Kendra by the end of 2010. Bridget's Sexiest Beaches was canceled after one season, but she moved in with Nick and tried to develop her own reality show with him, though it never took off. Holly had a short but very public relationship with Chris Angel, competed on Dancing with the Stars, and had her own reality show spinoff, Holly's World, which was also produced by Kevin Burns. She's single and sexy, smart and independent, Vegas celebrity, number one resident. The show followed Holly as she became the Mary Tyler Moore of Vegas, while she starred in the topless review Peep Show at Planet Hollywood. And it must be said, because it is a point of pride, yes, I did see Peep Show twice, once starring Holly and then again when Coco Austin took over for her in 2013. Meanwhile, Kendra married Hank, had a baby boy named Hank Jr., and was busy working on her reality show. Go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra. She's hot, she's sexy, she's funny, and wow. Don't stop, get busy, we loving your style. That's it, keep dancing, she's laughing, that smile. Go Kendra, go Kendra, you on your own now. Yeah, she moved out the mansion. She's not alone. Now her friends and her family, they know she's grown. Go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra. You wonder how she'll survive? Get hired, get a nine to five. But she ain't stressing no day job. She's a boss, she's way off. It's just another chapter in life. Bought a new house after the night. No butlers and no maids. You gotta do your own thing your way. Go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra, go Kendra. At this point, the girls were still pretty intertwined with each other, often making appearances on each other's shows because they shared the same network and producers. But things began to splinter in 2010 when Kendra published her memoir, Sliding Into Home, where she paints an unflattering portrait of Holly and Bridget as saboteurs, and at one point she calls them, quote, weird, though not particularly wrong, hurtful. Despite this, when Kendra follows in Holly's footsteps and competes on Dancing with the Stars, Holly publicly supports her, and it doesn't seem like there are any hard feelings about the memoir. Then, in 2011, 
a new programming executive at E! decides that the network should distance itself from the Playboy brand and cancels Holly's World and Kendra. Holly's show is dead in the water, but Kendra's show becomes Kendra on Top and moves to WeTV. In 2012, on the heels of its premiere, she does an interview with CNN. Holly, Bridget, and I, uh, we had a show, The Girls Next Door, and uh, we lived together. It was a very um, awkward situation because we dated the same guy. So it's not like it was like a sorority house or like a sisterly bond. It was, you know, it's a different thing. So it's not like we all, we were never even really friends to, to, to begin with. We all just kind of lived together and knew each other. So we're all in our each other's like lives and we're, we don't really, um, <laughs> we're different. <laughs> After the interview, Kendra and Holly hash things out over text. Girl, I don't have a problem with you. I just don't like it when people think we're friends. Do you even have a clue how rude that sounds, what you just said? Who are you? I don't even know you. We were never friends. It was all just work. Wow, I'm sorry I was stupid enough to think we were really friends. Have a nice life. And just like that, their relationship was over. Holly deleted Kendra's number and they never spoke again. Their feud laid dormant for the next few years, and in the meantime, Kendra was a busy little bee. Her life at this point could be its own episode, but this isn't a podcast about the 2010s, and thank God, because I have but one life to live, and I can't spend any more time of it on Kendra. Maybe you're begging for it, but for me, this is self-care, and you must respect my spiritual and creative boundaries. But here's the gist. Kendra was making tons of appearances on talk shows and reality shows, including I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Then scandal rocked her marriage in 2014 when a trans woman told the National Enquirer that she had a brief romp with Kendra's husband, Hank, while Kendra was eight months pregnant with their second child. You'll be surprised to learn that Hank potentially having a rendezvous with a trans woman did not, in fact, bring out the best in Kendra. There was some transphobia, some homophobia, yet none of the sensitivity, patience, or tact that we had all grown to expect from her. Hank admitted to meeting the woman while he was trying to buy pot, and while she did touch him over his boxers, he rebuffed the advances and left. Hank and Kendra really dined out on this scandal for years to come. It became a huge plot point of Kendra on top, and she appeared on multiple talk shows to discuss it, including Dr. Phil. Eventually, they rehashed the whole thing together on Celebrity Marriage Boot Camp, Family Edition, where she appears on the show with Hank and her mother, Patty, who threatens to write a tell-all book about Kendra's life. Ugh, the Patty of it all. Again, that belongs in another episode entirely. Not doing it, but just remember, Patty's a leech. Albeit, a leech with a nose job that settled quite nicely. Though Kendra was still making headlines, the intervening years were relatively quiet for Holly, who had fallen in love with Pasquale Rotella, the creator of the EDM Electric Daisy Carnival. Please, Holly. I am begging you to date a normie. There's got to be some single Disneyland executive out there for you. Soon after she began dating Pasquale, 
Holly got pregnant with their daughter, who she named Rainbow Aurora Rotella. Rainbow was the name of a girl in her sister's class in school, and Holly always thought it was so beautiful and unique. In 2013, Holly married Pasquale at Disney World with Bridget as her bridesmaid. Though Holly could still get some tabloid space for news like her wedding, she wasn't getting nearly as much constant publicity as Kendra. That is until 2015 when her memoir Down the Rabbit Hole was published. Not only did it include a plethora of headline-worthy details about Hef and the mansion, but the book also reignited the feud between Holly and Kendra. As you can glean from this podcast, the memoir is a scorched earth account of Holly's experience, and Kendra takes issue with both how it portrays herself and Hef. Despite being a Hologist myself, I can admit that Holly's portrayal of Kendra is at times a little petty and seems to be in direct retaliation for how Kendra talked about her in the past. In an episode of her reality show, Kendra shows her reaction to Holly's book, and while she's upset about how she's portrayed, particularly the part that accuses her of lying about sleeping with Hef before being asked to be a girlfriend, what she can't let Holly get away with is how she talks about Hef. The episode is its own takedown of Holly. Kendra professes that the book is full of lies, as old footage from the girls next door plays, showing Holly happy and smiling, living what looks to be the life of her dreams. So what are the lies that Kendra is referring to? Uh, Holly said that Apple had offered her quaaludes to get her to sleep with him. You know, if you believe her, her, her crap, then go ahead, but come on. Hef is thousands of women. He doesn't need no quaalude, bitch. <laughs> I mean, Hef got without drugs, people. Like, <laughs> I mean, come on. You know what? For you to not take responsibility for your own choices in your life. Yeah. And then hold it against Hef seven years later? That is disgusting. Well, Hef's use of quaaludes has been well documented from multiple sources spanning multiple decades. Even Isabella St. James says he offered her quaaludes, and that came out years before Down the Rabbit Hole. Jennifer Saginor, the daughter of Mark Saginor, who was referred to as Hef's Dr. Feelgood, has said that her father regularly prescribed quaaludes to Hef. There's also a blind item posted by Enti Lawyer in 2015 that says Saginor was great buddies with Bill Cosby and would also supply him with quaaludes. Does she think Holly is lying about how mean Hef could be? I don't think so, because she seems to confirm the authenticity of one of the more memorably hurtful stories in Holly's book. <laughs> My book is about the struggles that I went through and how I survived. What is she surviving? Hef didn't like red lipstick? That's what she calls survival? <laughs> Weak bitch. <laughs> like, what the it seems like the only thing Kendra really feels like Holly is lying about is that she wasn't really happy there. Perhaps that's triggering to her because if it turned out that despite the happy facade, Holly was suffering inside all those years, it might validate a similar feeling Kendra has deep down that she would rather avoid. She has her story that she tells herself about what that time was like, and she doesn't want anyone ruining it. Maybe. I don't know her. And so Kendra lashes out with another barrage of mean tweets directed at Holly, but these are even worse than the last. 
Now Holly's on the cover of People Mag saying she lived in fear at the mansion. She wasn't in fear with that dick in her ass for a paycheck. And... That bitch is in fear now knowing so many of us saw her doing so much nasty shit. She's embarrassed and in shame. She was the cleanup girl. Holly's job was to get Hef hard again and clean him up with her mouth. Kendra eventually deleted the tweets and posted an apology of sorts. I know my recent posts were a little over the top, and I apologize for that. Sticking up for me and my beliefs is hard for me at times. Sorry. Kendra wasn't the only one feuding with Holly over her book. She was met with tons of negative feedback, both by people directly involved and people who knew nothing personally about Playboy or Hef, but had an opinion regardless. Some people called her ungrateful, biting the hand that fed her just so she could get some headlines. People said she must be a liar, not because they had evidence that refuted any specific claims she made, but because if it was so bad, she could just say it with me now. Just leave. An absolute classic. Interesting that it's such a sticking point with people because she did eventually just leave. Despite having the opportunity to have season six of the show basically all to herself, despite knowing she'd get money in Hef's will if she stayed, when she had the means and the self-esteem, she did just leave. Hef did not kick her out, but... That doesn't matter to people who feel compelled to protect abusers because it's always easier to put it all on the victim than be forced to think critically or with some nuance. The harsh reaction to the book wasn't particularly surprising considering Down the Rabbit Hole was published in 2015, about two years before Tarana Burke's hashtag MeToo movement became mainstream. And wouldn't you know it, on September 27th, 2017, about a week before Ashley Judd accused Harvey Weinstein of sexual harassment in a New York Times article, that son of a bitch, Hugh Marston Hefner, died. The snowball begins. Rich predators are being taken down left, right, and center. And that little bitch is sitting pretty, fully dead. I mean, listen... I think Hef probably knew the walls were closing in and it was time to will his body to expire. I can't imagine it would be that hard to do. He probably just stopped drinking Diet Pepsi for a day and the shock of the withdrawal was just too much on his elderly heart. At this point, Bill Cosby, Hef's best friend, had already been accused by dozens of women of sexual assault and a couple of them alleged it happened at the Playboy Mansion. Hef tried to distance himself from his friend, but in 2016, Hef was sued by one of Bill's victims for conspiring with him to drug her at a mansion party in 2008. Her charges against both of them were eventually dropped. Despite the controversy that popped up in the time leading up to his death, there were plenty of celebrities tweeting their RIPs and articles about what an icon and trailblazer Hef was. There were also a lot of dissenting voices out there. Writers dredged up old stories of Hef's predatory behavior that never stuck when they happened, but they didn't stick in 2017 either. The wide spectrum of the public's opinion didn't really matter. From the very beginning of Playboy, there were the people who thought Hef was a visionary and a hero, and those who thought he was the Antichrist. It's easy to show the receipts to back up whatever version of him you want to uphold. 
You can call him the civil rights activist who routinely featured black writers in his magazine when no one else would. He once closed a Playboy club in New Orleans when the state mandated that they keep it segregated. He's also the man with probably one of the biggest hands in establishing the standard of beauty is that of thin white blondes. Prior to his death in 2017, by my count, and from the minimal information out there, there were only, give or take, about 30 black playmates of the month. And at 12 slots per year, over 64 years, that means 768 potential playmates of the month. And prior to his death, there were only three black playmates of the year. Then there are the people who call half a feminist. He battled for women's right to birth control because by his own admission, he didn't like to wear condoms. He wanted to normalize sex for unmarried women, saying good girls like sex too. But he had a real problem if a woman wanted to take that idea to the bank and use sex as a way to create independence for herself. He was only for the liberation of women when that meant they were free to do what he wanted. Also, you know, there's like a hundred other reasons we've talked about here that would suggest he wasn't much of a feminist. It seems like for every positive thing that Heft did in his life, there's always been a completely inverse negative anecdote. Now that the A&E docuseries is airing, the negative things being exposed far outweigh any of his activism throughout his life. The stories the women tell in the docuseries are harrowing. Some stories they tried to tell before but were silenced by Playboy or just nobody cared. Finally, these women can be heard by the public and by the other women who experienced similar things. In their goodbye scene on The Girls Next Door, Holly talks about how they're the only ones who understand what they went through at the mansion. While that's true in terms of the show, there are plenty of women out there who understand what it was like to be immersed in the cult-like world of Playboy and Hugh Hefner. In our first episode, I talked about how we had to go back in time, beyond the early 2000s, because the way Hef treated Holly, Bridget, and Kendra was a part of a pattern. Secrets of Playboy talks to Hef's ex-girlfriend Sandra Theodore throughout the series. Though she was his girlfriend all the way back in the 70s, her story sounds pretty familiar. That was my first real relationship where it was a real, it was a love affair. And, and he nurtured that. And he said to me, he said, you're the first girl I've liked enough to consider having a baby with. Reel her in, get up. Really? You know, you like me enough to, out of all these beautiful girls, you, you would pick me? He chose me. He would just take me up his arms and we'd dance around the game room. That was his way of being romantic with me. I wasn't wise enough, I, I wasn't worldly enough. And my God, he was 50. He had had a wife and children. And I didn't know about the multiple girlfriends. Like the others, Sandra was a young woman with little life experience that Hef knew how to manipulate. Sandra was subject to the same kind of controlling behavior as Holly, Bridget, and Kendra, and she also had to submit to different sexual acts that she didn't want to do. The difference with her relationship with Hef was she had to deal with him when he had more youthful energy, and it was the 1970s. A time when I'm pretty sure there were just like no laws. You could pretty much do whatever the hell you wanted. 
So when you hear all of Sandra's story, there are plenty of things that sound familiar to what Holly had talked about, but way more fucked up. Um, trigger warning here for disturbing sex and animal abuse. One example of this is in Holly's memoir, she talks about a time when she was cleaning Hef's room and found a porn tape depicting someone having sex with a dog. In the docuseries, Sandra alleges that one day she went into Hef's room and found him having actual sex, I mean, abusing her dog. Sandra eventually couldn't take it anymore and left Hef, but the relationship changed her forever. I had so much damage done to me that I will never know how to be a normal person and to accept love as a normal person. I will never believe that a man would love me now because I'm old, I'm older, and that's just, nothing can convince me. Nothing can convince me that I'm uh, desirable to anybody now. I'd like to think that one day I'll meet my soulmate. I can't let go of that need. I need to just be loved just for yourself. You know, not, not for what you're gonna do for somebody. I may never know that, but maybe in the next life, <laughs> I don't know. It's not the young girl. Where am I? It's not this girl. Away, she was gone. And and all he did was take and take and take that. He sucked it right out of me. And how dare he do that? I'm sorry, the best thing I ever walked into his life. <laughs> But anyway, I'm so sorry I fell apart. I'm so sorry. There are more than a few people in the series who say something along the lines of how many women entered this world and left with their souls sucked out, used and abused and never the same. It seems as though Holly, Bridget, and Kendra fared a bit better. Bridget is still with her partner Nick and has a podcast, Ghost Magnet, where she gets to talk about what she loves, the paranormal. Kendra and Hank divorced in 2018, and she's now a real estate agent. Her Discovery Plus reality show, Kendra Sells Hollywood, just got a second season. I did not watch, but wish her well. In 2016, Holly had another baby named Forrest Leonardo Antonio Rotella and divorced Pasquale in 2019. Though they're apparently not together anymore, she dated a guy for a while named Zach Baggins, a paranormal investigator and TV personality. We went from reclusive elderly erotic magazine editor, Vegas magician, an EDM festival magnate, and a ghost hunter. No one has ever had a more eclectic, yet cohesive dating history than Holly. If all of her exes were on Project Runway and had to be presented as a collection in a group challenge, Nina Garcia would eat her scorecard. There's a distinct thread that connects them all. The color palette and accessorizing really complement each other, yet they can all really stand out on their own. Outside of her romantic history, Holly has sold the rights to her memoir and is producing a limited TV series based on the book starring Samara Weaving. Some criticize Holly for continuing to talk about her experience at Playboy. People also wonder why the women in the Secrets of Playboy docuseries are deciding to come out with these stories after all these years. Why keep talking about it? For one, because they have every right to. Their stories belong to them, but so much of Playboy does too. Hef made the magazine, but the magazine was built on the bodies of women. He never had any appreciation for that and never regarded these models as anything more than content. 
They were two-dimensional pictures, not real human beings, which was why from day one it never occurred to him that printing Marilyn Monroe's naked pictures without her consent was wrong. He paid the photographer, so her body belonged to him. Apparently forever. In 1992, long after she died, he bought the crypt next to her for $75,000. He was laid to rest for eternity beside her, and she never had a say in the matter. knows if this docu-series or Holly's TV show or anything else that comes out about him will meaningfully change Hef's legacy. I hope it does, of course, but in the end, he's dead. He can't hurt anyone else. But there are plenty of other men just like him running around trying to get away with the same things. So it matters that these stories are told even when there's no justice to be done, so we and future generations can see through these predators and decide that their money, power, or contributions to society aren't worth the damage they inflict onto vulnerable people. They're not worth protecting. But we have to be vigilant. Because when one Hugh Hefner goes down, there's always ten more just like him waiting in the wings to take his place. One might say he's... replaceable. Lay Do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane, with research assistance by Anna Tulenko and Rowan Hole. If you aren't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave a rating and review. You can follow updates on the pod on Instagram and Twitter, stream our early 2000s Spotify and Apple Music playlists, and download some Lay Do inspired coloring book pages. You'll find those links on the show's Instagram. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email this at gmail.com. So, you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list for Lay Do You Remember This. Come, 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 come to my house.